This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, November 22nd. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. As impeachment hearings draw to a close, Republicans have managed to show that the witnesses don't have direct proof of President Trump's wrongdoing. Heritage Senior Legal Fellow Hans von Spakovsky will join the podcast to unpack what we've learned this week and what to expect next. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on iTunes. And please encourage others to subscribe. Now on to our top news. Thursday's impeachment hearings featured Fiona Hill, formerly an aide to John Bolton and an expert on Russia at the National Security Council, and David Holmes, a diplomat who works in the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. Here's part of what Holmes said in his opening statement via ABC News. My name is David Holmes, and I'm a career foreign service officer with the Department of State. Since August 2017, I've been the political counselor at the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv, Ukraine. Beginning in March 2019, the situation at the embassy and in Ukraine changed dramatically. Specifically, the three priorities of security, economy, and justice, and our support for Ukrainian democratic resistance to Russian aggression, became overshadowed by a political agenda promoted by former New York, New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and a cadre of officials operating with a direct channel to the White House. Holmes also said this via CNN. It's exactly my point. Um, I brief the call in detail of the deputy chief of mission, went away for a week, come back, I refer to the call, and everyone is nodding. Of course that's what's going on. Of course the president is pressing for a Biden investigation before he'll do these things the Ukrainians want. There was nodding agreement. So did I go through every single word in the call? No, because everyone by that point agreed. It was obvious what the president was pressing for. And Ambassador Taylor, as you've just outlined, had all those other interactions. With but he all didn't share other- it with us. Hill, via CNN, said that John Bolton, the former national security advisor, was concerned about Rudy Giuliani. Also, I believe... Uh, testified that Ambassador Bolton had expressed some views to you about Mr. Giuliani's interest in Ukraine. Do you recall what you said? Yes. What he um, said to you, rather? I do. I do recall, yes. It was part of a conversation about the things uh, that uh, Mr. Giuliani was saying very frequently in public. Um, We saw them um, often, uh, or saw him often, uh, on television making these statements. And I had already brought to Ambassador Bolton's um, attention the attacks, the smear campaign against Ambassador Ivanovich and expressed uh, great regret about how this was unfolding and, um, in fact, the shameful way in which uh, um, Ambassador Ivanovich was, um, was being smeared and attacked. And I'd asked if there was anything that we could do about it. And Ambassador Bolton had looked pained, um, basically uh, indicated with body language that there was nothing which we could do about it. And he then, in the course of that discussion, said that Rudy Giuliani was a hand grenade that was going to blow everyone up. Did you understand what he meant by that? I did, actually. What did he mean? Well, I think he he meant that, obviously, what Mr. Giuliani was saying was pretty explosive in any case. Um, He was frequently on television making quite incendiary remarks about um, everyone um, involved in this. And that he was clearly pushing forward issues and ideas that would, uh, you know, probably come back to haunt us. And in fact, I think that that's where we are today. President Trump tweeted Thursday morning, Ken Starr, former independent counsel. Does this reach the level of treason, bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors? My assessment of the evidence so far, nowhere close. The evidence is conflicting and ambiguous. 
Ambassador Sondland's testimony stated that President Trump said the Ukraine president should just do the right thing. No quid pro quo. You shouldn't charge, but you cannot convict a sitting president on the basis of conflicting and ambiguous evidence and destabilize the American government. Thank you, Ken. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been indicted on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of public trust. Israel's Attorney General, Avichai Mandelblit, made the announcement Thursday in what he called a heavy-hearted decision. Netanyahu faces up to 13 years of prison if convicted on all counts. In a televised response, he maintained his innocence and called it a witch hunt. He said, per NBC News, I give my life to this state. I fought for it. I was wounded for it. I have to say this is a very hard day. I think you need to be blind to see that something wrong is going on. This is a political coup. He also added, this is a contaminated process. We need to investigate the investigators. They didn't want the truth. They were after me personally. The news adds more uncertainty to Israel's political situation as the country remains without a coalition government. Both Netanyahu and his rival, Benny Gantz, tied in September's election. Get ready for a cheerful Christmas spending fight. The Senate and the House have now both approved a new short-term spending deal that keeps the government funded until December 20th. However, there doesn't appear to be any compromise yet on how much to spend on the longer-term spending bills or what they should fund. Border wall funding is a major sticking point. Democrats are ramping up calls for President Trump to fire Stephen Miller, a senior advisor who oversees the president's immigration policy. Democrats say he's a documented white nationalist. On Thursday, 107 Democratic lawmakers sent a letter to President Trump demanding that he fire Miller. In the letter, they cite leaked emails first published by the Southern Poverty Law Center in which Miller sent links to vdare.com, a website associated with the alt-right and white nationalism. Miller's emails also reference a 1973 novel called The Camp of the Saints, which is about a non-white immigrant invasion of Europe. Congressional Democrats tried to tie those emails to Trump's present-day immigration policy led by Miller. They said, Mr. Miller's documented hatred of Muslim immigrants shaped your Muslim ban and sheds new light on your administration's intent in writing that ban. According to the Washington Examiner, the White House did not immediately respond for comment. Does Europe have an anti-Semitism problem? A new poll commissioned by the Anti-Defamation League has concerning findings. The Anti-Defamation League says their poll shows about a quarter of Europeans in the 14 countries polled appear to be anti-Semitic. About 4 of 10 Germans, Austrians, Spaniards, and Italians think Jews talk too much about the Holocaust. Jews' loyalty was also questioned, with over 40% of Danes, Austrians, and Germans saying Jews were more loyal to Israel than to their own countries. Up next, Hans von Spakovsky breaks down the latest in the impeachment hearings. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. 
So we have survived, or at least ostensibly survived, another week of impeachment hearings. And joining me to discuss is Hans von Spakovsky, a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Hans, thanks for joining us. Sure, Katrina. Thanks for having me back on. All right. So before we get to the hearings, I want to talk about an interesting shift in rhetoric the left has made. Right. We are no longer discussing quid pro quo. We are discussing bribery. Why have liberals shifted their rhetoric and is it significant? I don't think it's significant because there's so far been produced no evidence really of either one. Uh, And the few witnesses who have talked about it uh, dispute whether or not there was a quid pro quo. But apparently the reason for this is there was a report recently, uh, a news report that the DNC – found that a focus group that they had convened didn't really know what a quid pro quo was and they didn't think anything of it, whereas the word bribery sounds more sinister. So that apparently is why they have switched to using the term bribery. The the one thing I will say is that what has come out so far doesn't even come close to meeting the requirements of the federal bribery statute. And what are the requirements of that statute? I mean, bribery, th- think of it in the common sense kind of term. You know, bribery is uh, when, for example, a congressman is paid cash in order to vote a certain way on um, uh, a bill. And, you know, best example of that was remember the ABSCAM investigation the FBI did early in the 1970s where they caught congressmen doing that on tape. But here, um, even if you assume what Democrats are claiming is true and they haven't proven it. Uh, All you have is a president being concerned about corruption inside a foreign country, some of which may have involved a former vice president of the United States and his son who were obviously self-dealing in in their business over there. And being concerned about corruption when we are providing that country with foreign aid – we're always concerned with corruption in countries that we provide with foreign aid. Not only that, but putting conditions on foreign aid is the way we've always <laughs> provided foreign aid. So if we got a quid pro quo, well, that's what we try to do with every every uh, bill for foreign aid we give to foreign countries. So we've had roughly – 30 gazillion hours of testimony this week, it feels like. Our reporter, Fred Lucas, has been glued to the hearings for hours and hours each day. Have we learned, and we'll get into some more of the specifics uh, later, but first of all, have we learned anything of importance that struck you from this week's hearings? No, I don't think so. Um, Again, we had many witnesses talking about things they they heard third-hand. Almost no one who had direct knowledge of uh, what went on between the president and the uh, President Trump and the president of Ukraine. And in fact, a lot of the discussions and testimony has been opinions, not facts, opinions and criticism of the way the president conducted uh, foreign policy. Remember, uh, earlier in the week, we had uh, a lieutenant colonel. Um, who was providing advice on the Ukraine to the National Security Council. And the biggest part of his testimony was that uh, he didn't think the the president used his talking points when he was having discussions with the Ukrainian president. Well, I hate to tell this, Lieutenant Colonel, but uh, it's the president who's the chief diplomat of the United States. And not only does he not have to 
follow the direction of uh, junior officers in the Army. He also doesn't have to follow what the State Department says or the advice given by the State Department. And that seems to have been most of the criticism by State Department officials is they didn't like the way the president was conducting our diplomatic relations with Ukraine. None of this amounts to an impeachable offense. So to get to specifics, Pod Save America tweeted out this MSNBC clip featuring David Holmes, a diplomat in Ukraine. This is, of course, a liberal podcast. It's run right. by former President Obama staffers. And they wrote in the tweet accompanying this, David Holmes becomes the 500th staffer to lay out the quid pro quo between Trump and Ukraine. So let's play that clip and then I want to see um, – I want to hear your response to it. Okay. Within a week or two, it became apparent that the energy sector reforms, the commercial deals, and the anti-corruption efforts on which we were making progress were not making a dent in terms of persuading the White House to schedule a meeting between the presidents. On June 27th, Ambassador Sondland told Ambassador Taylor in a phone conversation, the gist of which Ambassador Taylor shared with me at the time, that President Zelensky needed to make clear to President Trump that President Zelensky was not standing in the way of, quote, investigations. I understood that that this meant the Biden-Burisma investigations that Mr. Giuliani and his associates had been speaking about in the media since March. While Ambassador Taylor uh, did not brief me on every detail of his communications with the three amigos, he did tell me uh, that on a June 28th call with President Zelensky, Ambassador Taylor and the three amigos, it was made clear that some action on Burisma-Biden investigation was a precondition for an Oval Office visit. So what are your thoughts? Does that constitute proof? He understands that's what it was. You notice how careful his wording was. He didn't know it. He understands that what that's what it was. And I guess my reaction to that is, is so what? Um, it is a perfectly legitimate, and in fact, I would think people would want to know whether or not uh, a prior vice president of the United States used the powers of his office to stop a corruption investigation of a Ukrainian company um, that had hired his son for a job for which he was getting paid an enormous amount of money, $50,000 a month, uh, when he had no qualifications for that job, didn't speak the language, and I think has, has admitted and, and officials for the company admitted that uh, the only reason they hired him was because he was the president's son. And, and yet the vice president used the powers of his office to threaten to withhold aid unless a corruption investigation was stopped. That raises serious concerns about self-dealing by the Biden family. And why in the world would it be an impeachable offense for a president to say that uh, we think that should be investigated? In fact, it, it should be. And if that's the kind of corruption that was happening, um, we would want it looked into. So my reaction to that is, is so what? Uh, the other thing, Katrina, just very quickly is – uh, you know, my friend uh, Andy McCarthy, who we recently had at, at the Heritage Foundation to talk about this. And on this podcast, he was a great guest. Right. You know, he, he's come up with this great term that I think describes this very well. He calls it the Seinfeld impeachment. And the reason he calls it that is because he points out that um, the Ukrainians were given the aid that we had promised them, uh, aid that uh, has provided them with – the kind of defensive weapons they need to, with, uh, to uh, uh, fight against the Russians and Russian insurgents, something the Obama administration refused to give them. Zelensky got his meeting with the president um, 
And as far as we know, there was never actually any investigation conducted, and there was no public announcement of any investigation. So the, the reason he calls it the Seinfeld impeachment is it's it's nothing actually happened. <laughs> uh, great show. So – to return to something you said a little bit earlier in your answer, you pointed out, you know, it's reasonable for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to be investigated in light of what occurred with, you know, um, the younger Biden getting the sweet gig while his father was the vice president. Right. The left seems to say that that in itself is an impeachable offense. Is there a sort of a thought experiment here? I mean, what would it take, I think, for Trump to have done an impeachable offense? Would it have to have been him saying, I'm specifically looking into this only because I'm concerned about the 2020 election? Or is there anything he could have done that would have made this seem like an impeachable offense? If you look at – remember, the, the Democrats are now using the term bribery, right? OK. If you look at the discussions at the Constitutional Convention – about the impeachment uh, clause and specifically you, you look at what they meant by bribery back then. Bribery would be if the president of Ukraine sent a personal cash payment to the president in order to get aid. That's bribery. Asking, asking that the president of Ukraine to take a look into possible corruption, that is not bribery and, and in particular – um, what's so odd to me about this is contrast these two things. On the one hand, we have the vice president of the United States, former vice president, admitting on videotape that he threatened to withhold U.S. aid unless a corruption investigation was halted of his own family versus the Democrats getting upset that this president wanted a corruption investigation uh, conducted by this foreign country to look into that matter. Now, which of those two is actual corruption and, and an actual problem? Well, it's clear to me it's it's the first one. But, of course, the Democrats uh, don't want any information coming out about this because, as you know, they refused Republican calls for Hunter Biden to come in and testify about the over $3 million he got for being the president, vice president's son. Well, speaking of that, um, we might be at the end of hearings. The committee hasn't announced formally yet what they're going to do. But as you just said, the Democrats would not let Hunter Biden and a couple other figures Republicans wanted to testify testify. Right. Do you think that's a problem? I, I think it is because um, – look, the, the one thing you can say about prior impeachment investigations, uh, specifically talking about Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon – is that the rules were set up uh, in both of those to make it a bipartisan effort. You know, the rank, the, the majority parties in both of those instances were given the ability to also uh, investigate, call witnesses they thought were important. Uh, here, Democrats have totally denied Republicans the ability to uh, not only bring in witnesses they want, but as you know, uh, Adam Schiff has at times instructed witnesses not to answer the Republicans' question. All of that makes this look like a partisan political effort, not a real objective uh, impeachment investigation. And uh, if that's the way Democrats continue to do this um, uh, and they don't actually establish any real evidence uh, of an impeachable offense, which is serious misconduct by a president, I think they're going to reap the political whirlwinds. And they're going to uh, find that they are greatly critiqued by the American people. And they may 
suffer the consequences of that at the ballot box as Republicans did after they uh, impeached Bill Clinton. So let's circle back to the hearings this week. What right. did you think of Ambassador Sondland's testimony on Wednesday? It seemed to me looking at Twitter that it was – I don't even know how to describe it. Like both the left and the right were circulating quotes by him, one in which he appears to say there was quid pro quo, one in which he appears to deny there was any quid pro right. quo. Was he contradicting himself? Did he say anything of an importance? This seems to be the most crucial testimony we've had. He's, he was inconsistent. And you cannot prove a case with a witness who is inconsistent and says one thing one time and something else the other time. You know, which which time is it true? And that is the kind of inconsistency that a prosecutor in a criminal case, he would never put up a witness like that, a witness who is inconsistent in his testimony if he's trying to prove a, a case. So, again, I don't really – I don't really think that Sondheim uh, – that, that he – Sondland, sorry. I was thinking of the songster. That would um, be a much fun, more fun That would be a fun, more hearing, right. Um, again, I, I don't think he's made the case for uh, the Democrats. Um, and so far, the evidence just does not meet the standard, the historical standard of showing serious misconduct by a president of such a nature that he should be removed immediately from office rather than waiting for the next election and letting the American people make the choice when they go to the voting booth. So let's talk about former aide to John Bolton, Fiona Hill. She testified on Thursday and dismissed the idea that Ukraine had been in any way involved in the 2016 election, saying this. Some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country and that perhaps... Somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. The unfortunate truth is that Russia was the foreign power that systematically attacked our democratic institutions in 2016. This is the public conclusion of our intelligence agencies confirmed in bipartisan congressional reports. It is beyond dispute. So you, of course, follow elections pretty darn closely. Right. Is there any reason to believe Ukraine was involved in the 2016 election? Well, we don't know because it hasn't been really investigated. Uh, and, uh, you know, with all due respect to Ms. Hill, um, these are the same intelligence agencies that she says, oh, should be the final word on this. These are the same intelligence agencies that helped launch a surveillance operation against this president based on political opposition research that had not been checked and verified based on a a false claim that there had been uh, uh, collusion between the Russian government and the Trump um, uh, campaign. And this is this, these are the same intelligence communities, uh, intelligence agencies where the whistleblower, which nobody wants to name, but everybody knows who it is, is a CIA analyst who um, has engaged in – is a democratic activist. So, frankly, uh, her her uh, call that we should just trust the intelligence agencies on this, uh, I think she and others have done great damage to their credibility. So Hill mentioned, and she's far from the only one too, uh, Rudy Giuliani's role in all this. He's – at this point, it doesn't look like he's going to testify. That could change. Right. What do you think of his conduct from what we know as Trump's personal lawyer and his engagement with Ukraine? Is there anything that we should be concerned about? 
I've heard some people try to claim that there was something wrong in this. And, and again, you know, my reaction to that is uh, presidents are not required by the Constitution or any law to only use State Department officials. They uh, Presidents have used private individuals in, uh, in many instances in the past uh, to uh, engage in foreign policy missions for them. Uh, there's nothing illegal or unlawful. You can – I guess you can debate the wisdom of it. But again, we're not supposed to be here uh, talking about the wisdom of the, the president's conduct of foreign policy. That is not an impeachable offense. What we're supposed to be talking about is anything that was unlawful or illegal conduct. And the fact that uh, Rudy Giuliani, as, as the president's personal lawyer, was talking to officials in Ukraine. There's nothing illegal about that, and it certainly is not impeachable. It's very clear that really annoys State Department, <laughs> State Department yeah. officials, which to me is actually a good thing given how many times in the past um, State Department officials have acted in ways in which they seem to feel like the foreign countries they're stationed in are really their clients, not the United States. So do you want to wager any predictions on what happens next in the impeachment process? Oh, I think it's I think it's pretty likely that the House will vote to approve articles of impeachment because uh, they've been wanting to do that since the first week the president was inaugurated. And they really don't care about what the evidence shows or doesn't show. They're, they're doing this. I, I, the way this has been conducted, the witnesses they have brought forward makes it look like this is really is a political stunt – intended to try to damage the president uh, in order to prevent him from getting reelected. It doesn't, it's not being conducted like an actual legitimate impeachment inquiry as prior impeachments uh, have been. Uh, this is particularly true because I think Democrats should probably know, since they've not been able to produce any real evidence, that there's no way the Senate is going to convict the president and remove him from office when there's been no serious misconduct. So you mentioned the whistleblower. Do you think it is important that that person be known, be questioned? Yes. And okay, why? Yes, absolutely. Because, look, there is no more serious undertaking by the U.S. House of Representatives other than declaring war uh, uh, except for impeachment. And if you are going to take what is a step that has only been attempted to be taken twice in American history to remove a president, duly chosen and elected by the American people, then there should be no anonymous accusers. And I think we should not only make public who the whistleblower is, I think he should be called in as a witness as Republicans wanted and Adam Schiff refused because one of our most basic Due process rights is the ability to confront your accuser. When you don't – aren't able to do that, then that means that Adam Schiff and his committee are running this like a star chamber, not a proceeding in which they're actually trying to get at the truth. So to play devil's advocate here, yeah. does he need to face his accuser if he is – if if the president already has a chance to respond to the accusations, does it matter who made them? It does matter who made them because when someone makes accusations, it's not just the supposed facts that they're asserting. It's their credibility. Can you believe what they're saying? 
do they have credibility in the uh, accusations they are making? Um, I'm sure one of the reasons this particular whistleblower doesn't want his name to come out is because we know, for example, that the lawyer the lawyer he hired two years ago was sending out tweets publicly talking about how they were going to organize a coup, a coup to take down this president. And that brings up a lot of questions about uh, this this whistleblower, his credibility, uh, whether this is an organized effort to bring down the president, whether there's no real uh, wrongdoing at issue, you know, who he's had contact with, including Adam Schiff and others, prior to even filing the whistleblower complaint. All of that's very important for us to be able to judge what is really going on here. So to wrap up, how do you think history – is going to view these impeachment hearings and how do you think this could usher in a new era for the United States in the sense of, you know, I'm struck by how the media is always, always accusing the Trump administration of norm breaking, et cetera. But by your account, really, this impeachment process is a kind of norm breaking. Yeah, no, it is. And I think um, if Democrats continue to go forward with this, they are initiating a very dangerous precedent. Um, I think historians are going to look at this the way they today look at the attempted impeachment of Andrew Johnson. You know, Andrew Johnson was the first president impeached by the House. He was acquitted in the Senate. He was the vice president who took over when Abraham Lincoln uh, was assassinated. And historians all agree that that was an improper impeachment. They, they impeached him not because he had done anything wrong, but, but, but because they didn't like him. And they didn't like his policies um, towards the uh, southern states um, and they didn't like his attitude towards re- reconstruction. It was a purely political impeachment. They wanted to get rid of somebody they didn't like, not a president who would actually um, engage in any kind of misconduct. And the parallels between that and what's going on today are, are actually kind of eerie. Um, one of the articles of uh, – one of the paragraphs in the articles of impeachment of Johnson even complained about um, the president saying nasty things about Congress. Does that does that sound familiar, Katrina? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's – I'm sorry, but saying nasty things about uh, Congress, that is not an impeachable offense. <laughs> well, at least Andrew Johnson didn't tweet, right? <laughs> well, right. Hans, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. Robin Virginia will be with you on Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, the Leah Rampersad, and Mark Guiney. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.